it's incredible between uh, Robert, you and Kevin, and then all of your other Imagineering colleagues, millions upon millions upon millions of people travel to experience these amazing joys that you brought to life. Like that's incredible. And you're also darn nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is incredible. I mean, you know, what we do is a blessing, you know, that we get to do that every day and make people happy, you know, kind of in a crazy world we live in, you know, that sometimes it's hard to find those happy places and boy, you know, the Disney parks are the first and foremost. That's awesome. Well, and that wasn't even my official first question or anything, but I'll go <laughs> ahead and get started now and then we can go from here. Okay. So uh, we'll go ahead and get started. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by one of my co-hosts, Ms. Vanessa Ferguson. Hi, Craig. How you doing? I'm doing great. We are going to talk to a Disney legend today. Uh, we're going to talk to an Imagineer today. And we actually have a very special co-host coming on board for this interview. And that's, you've heard him before on this show, and you know that he's a huge fan based on uh, his involvement in Beyond the Mouse podcast pals, but also just a huge fan of Disney, uh, extremely talented guy, Mr. Tristan Tapscott is joining us. Oh, How are you, sir? Hello. Good. Thanks for having me. This is always so cool to be on your show. Well, you know, what's funny about it is like we had... Uh, um, we knew that Brett was not going to be available for this interview. And so Vanessa and I were talking about it and we were like, we should ask Tristan to be on. And then last week we actually posted that we're going to start a Patreon. And so of course, who was our first patron, but Tristan Tapscott to immediately <laughs> right. join. Um, and yeah. so thank you for your continued support of the show and Absolutely. everything else. And uh, of course we've had you on uh, to talk about your podcast as well. <laughs> and it, so give us the update. How, how's podcasting going? How's life going? I know you're, yeah. you're you're about to get married, man. How's that? I am. Yeah, it's, I'm getting married and I just started a new job. But also, yeah, I do a podcast with a friend of mine, Sean McCall. It's called Of Mice and Main Street Men. Uh, we just started largely because we were inspired by you guys. So we're like 40 episodes in now and it's super fun. And it's just we always get together and talk Disney anyway. So why not record it? Right. Yeah. And then just put it out there for people to listen to. I love uh, yeah. you do a ton of like lists and different like top items, your favorite things. Mm -hmm. And that's just fun to get different perspectives on things. And then to be able to yeah. uh, either vehemently disagree or agree with you in the car, right. uh, depending on what the topic <laughs> is. That's always a great thing, too. And so we're glad that you're joining us today. And we're very grateful to Walt Disney Imagineering for giving us the opportunity to talk to one of the most recent Disney legends. He actually was conferred the honor of Disney legend back in 2020. Um, but of course, due to the pandemic, there was no D23 Expo in 2020. So he had to wait until 2022 to be given that award and given that honor. So now his uh, handprint is going to go into Legends Plaza out there in uh, California. So we are so excited to talk to Robert Coltrane today. And we're going to talk uh, likely a lot about his partnership with another Imagineer that we had previously interviewed, and that's Kevin Rafferty, because the two of them really were this kind of powerhouse team, right, Vanessa? Oh, absolutely. And it's it's so great to kind of talk to another piece of this successful puzzle. We read Kevin's book and he just talks just so well about his team, including Robert. And it's going to be great to kind of meet that person, another person who knows Kevin, and, and maybe talk a little bit about working together and their relationship and just how they get along as they're collaborating. It's just going to be a lot of fun talking to him today. 
I'll tell you, I watched that legend ceremony and Robert was my favorite speech. I mean, I know that we've got Idina Menzel up there and Kristen Bell and Jonathan Groff and, you know, all these amazing people. And of course, Chadwick Boseman was honored. I mean, so such an amazing ceremony. But Robert got up there and he was just like, first of all, he was so grateful and he was thank he was thanking all of his colleagues. He praised Kevin. He praised all these other people. And uh, he just seemed like he really was enjoying himself at that legends panel and kind of in disbelief that he was there. And so he He's brought to life so many of these amazing attractions that we get to now talk to him about things like Mystic Manor and other attractions like he was involved in Expedition Everest. Of course, him and Kevin helped bring Radiator Springs racers and essentially all Cars Land to fruition as well out in Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure. So it's just amazing to get a chance to talk to him today. Tristan, this is kind of one of your first uh, sort of interviews like this. this is your first opportunity to really talk to a Disney Imagineer. And I know you are in love with the Disney parks. So what what about you? What are you excited for? I, I'm super excited that there's not a lot of other interviews about him out there, actually, because I went looking for some and I was like, well, this is cool that this is like one of the first times he's he's done a podcast. So I'm geeking out quite a bit. I mean, I geek out with you two anyway. So this could be this could be fun. This will be fun. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and get out of your way and bring in Robert because I'm excited for this conversation. So without further ado, one of the newest Disney legends, Robert Coltrane, talking all about Walt Disney Imagineering. It is so great to, and such an honor uh, to welcome to the show one of the newest Disney legends, having been awarded the Disney Legends Award back in 2020. And then it was conferred upon uh, Robert here in 2022 at the D23 Expo. Just incredible. But Robert, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you. Oh, it's exciting to be here. We want to talk to you about so many things today. Uh, and hopefully we get a chance to do that. But I'm wondering, can you just talk about how you come to a career in Imagineering and how that kind of progressed, how your career progressed to the point where you started working with WDI. You know, I, I think when you're, and I was growing up, you could probably ask all of my friends and they go, he's going to work for Disney someday. I was just like one of those kids. I grew up with the wonderful world of Disney, like the rest of America did. And we loved all of that. Even after Walt passed, you know, in fact, I was probably don't even remember those days. And it was fun. It was funny because the girl down the street had a map of Disneyland on her wall. I grew up in San Jose and we didn't have a lot of money and I didn't go to Disneyland. And I became fascinated with this map. And finally, she just gave it to me, probably because <laughs> she was sick of me coming over. And so I had this sort of unnatural relationship, I think. I have no idea how it began because it wasn't like I had been there. I just loved this map and I studied it. And I had a friend that I grew up with and we took swimming lessons at his house. And after he would tell me about going to Disneyland and we rode the Haunted Mansion, he would tell me to turn the corner and then there's this crystal. And I'm like mesmerized. And I'm like, finally, when I was 11, which is like the greatest age, because, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of get it and enough to be kind of really understanding what the heck's going on. And, and I went and it was, I mean, I gave people tours. I knew the place, like the back of my hand, it was the first time I was there. I knew where every restroom was. I knew where every restaurant was because of this map, you know? And so I think it was sort of a foregone conclusion. I didn't know how I'd get there, <laughs> but I knew eventually I'd be at WDI. 
Absolutely. That's so wonderful. And, you know, my co-host Vanessa will tell you that I'm a, quite the corny guy, but it's just kind of fun to think about like you having this magic map that you're studying and then getting to, to live this experience that that's like the start of a story. That's the start of a movie right there. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, eventually, I mean, I did, I danced as a kid. I was in theater in like every play in high school you know, and after that, I choreographed shows, designed shows and directed shows. And then eventually I got a job in television. And so as you get more and more experience and then, you know, Disney doesn't often really want fresh, you know, young kids out of college. They want people who are really experienced. And um, so it was nice to have some of that clout um, before I, you know, finally got the job in 1990. You know, we know that you Imagineers, you're, you're kind people, you're creative people, you love Disney, but what does it really take to become a Disney Imagineer? I'm sure we have some people listening and they're probably wondering if they've got the right stuff. So what is the right stuff to kind of pursue this career? Um, you know, I, I think there's like 140 disciplines at Imagineering. So there's, you know, one of everything. So it's hard to say, you know, on specialties, how you would go about getting a, a career there and how you would become successful because, you know, you have architects and special effects people and lighting designers and there's just everything. Um, I'd say as a creative person who was in charge of creating new content, I, I would tell people to um, learn the art form, just like, you know, movies and theater, they all have, there's a, there's a, thing about each of those that make them an art form and you have to become an expert and theme parks are really bizarre there's not a lot of schools that teach anything about it there's a lot of technical things that you have to learn that make it is not just a great idea you have to make it work you actually have to make it in this crazy format it's like a three-minute story I mean it's you know so and I would also tell them to learn to collaborate because, you know, I tell people all the time, just go work at a theater, go down the street. I don't care what you do, if you do props or if you're on stage or whatever you do, but learn to work with people because, you know, Imagineering is not a solo business. You can, there's so many people who have failed because they just think, you know, it's my idea and that's it. And, you know, it's a bigger thing than that. There's a lot of people involved. You've got to rally the team. I think half of my job was being a cheerleader, you know, just trying to get everybody on board. And it's like, go team, you know, get people <laughs> excited. And so I think working with people is such a huge part of the Imagineering thing. If you just want to be an artist and paint by yourself, great, go do that. But if you come into the world of Imagineering, you need to be prepared to work with a lot of people who may disagree with you who may, may not love your ideas and may be frustrating, you know, and maybe all kinds of different things, but it makes you a better person and makes your ideas better as well. That's yeah, just absolutely. wonderful. Yeah, it's just wonderful. And I mean, just to think about, like you mentioned sort of coming from all these different aspects. And I think about Walt and Existencio and and how uh, he was told, you know, you're going to start doing some lyrics for some of these attractions. And he's going, what are you talking about? I don't do that. And then it's just like getting to know like the strengths that someone might have that they don't even see in themselves is what I think is such a cool aspect of how Imagineering uh, seems to continue to work as well. But yeah, Tristan, I'm, oh, go ahead. I, no, I agree. 
Yeah, Tristan, I believe you had the next question. Hey, yeah, so it was interesting to hear you uh, talk about how you were in theater originally and kind of went into television after that. Uh, I, I recently did that myself. I've been a professional actor for about 20 years and recently took a job as a producer and a host on a local television show. So uh, that was kind of interesting for me to hear that because it is very similar in, in those worlds. But um, you were known for supporting other Imagineers as they are starting out their careers. Can you tell us how you've helped guide them and provided opportunities to their careers? And, and who was your mentor as you were coming up in the ranks? Well, I'll do the, the second one first. You know, hey, I, um, I started actually at, in show set design um, when I first came there and then kind of worked my way through. And I started looking and I was, you know, you drop other people's ideas and you're like, I could do this. I'm like, I could do a better idea than that. Um, but show set was a really great department, you know, back then I haven't been with them, but, um, and they were very supportive. Um, even though everybody was working on their own projects, you could always go to them and go, hey, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And so I think when I started, that department was so incredible. There are so many people and all of them, you know, when you start, everybody's a mentor because you're the dumb young sure. kid. And, and you're like, what the hell am I doing? Um, <laughs> and then, um, so, um, but then, you know, a lot of the leaders that you look up to, you, you know, what was fun, and I always told people, you know, don't work for the same people all the time. Try to get jobs where, you know, I got to work with Joe Rohde on Expedition Everest. And and it was like, you know, Joe, I mean, he's so incredible. But yeah. when you get to work with him, you realize it's not just crazy Joe. There is so much depth to him and you learn so much. So I always tell people, you know, you may not get along with somebody, but try because you're going to learn. They're going to learn. They're going to learn about you. And and then if you don't want to, don't work with them again, you know, move on to the next one. So that's in terms of, you know, who mentored me. And, and I think till the last day you work there, you're still being mentored by people, you know, the great, you know, the late great Disney legend, Marty Sklar, our boss, you know, we all learn from him and certainly his ties all the way back to Walt were, you know, something we would just drool on every day. So, um, yeah. Um, and in terms of me, you know, I always gravitated to the people who loved our business. You know, I remember when I was, uh, John Georges was an executive producer for Blue Sky back when, and he came to me, goes, you know, Walt Disney World's the most popular resort, Fantasyland's the number one land, what would you do like a new Fantasyland? And he just sort of whispered that in my, my ear, and he was notorious for like whispering little things like that, and you go, huh, that would be fun. And then all of a sudden he's the great enabler and he would, you know, make sure you got funding and you got help and you got artists and we built models, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And he said, oh, I have this new kid who's just joined us and his name was Dustin Schofield. And he came in and I'm like, oh, great. You know, it's another one we have to train. And no, <laughs> Dustin knew everything about everything. And and it was great. And he is fresh out of college, but, you know, he'd been to Dollywood and he'd been to, you know, parks around the country and he knew our parks, he knew Universal. And it was like, oh, I love it because when we can speak shorthand, boy, that process is faster. And so I would gravitate to, you know, folks like that because they really are in the game. 
from day one, Dustin was in the game. He's now leading up the team for Zootopia land mm-hmm. in Shanghai. Awesome. And I'm so proud of him. He has really gone a long way. I'll, I'll never forget the story when I, I turned him once and we were working. I'm like, can you pull, you know, uh, the drawings for PhilharMagic for me? And he stopped and he goes, the one in Walt Disney World or the one in Hong Kong? This is like a kid who just started the company. I swear, if I asked that to anybody else in the company, they go, oh, okay. Boom, he was on it. He knew where it was. Of course, now we have fill our magics everywhere. But back then, I was like, okay, this kid, I'm going to work with him. And we worked together till I think my last day. And now he's, he's going to be one of the greats. He will be one of the legends you interview in, well, five years, but probably 40. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's like, that's what's incredible is like to see that next generation of Imagineers. And I hope that because you're getting some of the additional recognition as a profession that I think you deserve things like the Imagineering story that Leslie Iwerks put together, things like behind the attraction on Disney plus, I hope that that really inspires that next group of Imagineers as well. I'm excited for uh, what's to come there, but you mentioned Marty Sklar. And when we interviewed Kevin, we loved in his book that he would use that red marker. He would show us all those red markers that Marty had done. But you know, now your handprints are going to be in Legends Plaza right there along with Marty. And I'm wondering about, can you walk us through what that D23 Expo Day is like for you? Because I can imagine it's just kind of like a blur, right? I mean, how what was that like? It was, well, you know, because I was given the trophy and the Legend Award in 2020, it kind of been looming. And there was like, someday there's going to be a D23 again, and this is going to have to be official. And I'm going to have to, oh my God, go up on stage and say something witty and brilliant and next to actors who are professionally witty and brilliant. And um, so it was terrifying. I will say, the, you know, I was glad to be one of the early ones so that I could then relax and just enjoy the day. <laughs> the joy of the day but it was a blur the hardest part was Kevin in the audience because you know here I am getting a legend award and he is the definition of legend and and I think it's because I retired you know before he did (laughs) and he may not have made the list as early as I did but um, you know that was really hard because he's sitting there and I'm going I need my partner in crime here (laughs) up on stage so but the rest of the day was super fun. I got, you know, with COVID and everything, I hadn't seen some of my friends in two years. So it was just like, just walking through D23 was so fun. And I'd run into people and just scream and hug. And then total strangers would come up to you and tell me, we loved your speech. And it was like, oh my, <laughs> it was like, this is how the other half lives. This is what it is <laughs> to be a celebrity. because people are just tapping you on the shoulder and it was yeah any you know anybody who ever needs to get a boost do that and walk around and you are not touching the ground for the entire day it was amazing 
Yeah, I'll tell you that uh, our, our co-host, Brett, who isn't with us today, he was actually in the hall, but Vanessa and I were watching it uh, via the live stream and we were um, kind of writing back and forth to each other. And you, your speech came up and we were transfixed on your speech because it was so like you came up there, you were like the, the, you were the every man of that uh, ceremony. And you were just like, what am I doing here? Why is Kevin not up here? But then you also, I mean, that's what I love. And you talked about it in the uh, collaboration that you do because you acknowledge so many of your other colleagues as well in your speech. And again, I think it's great when the people that are truly making the magic, those Imagineers get that kind of recognition. So uh, to, to talk about Kevin for a little bit, and I think we'll, we'll brought, bring him up quite a bit in this interview, but can you talk about that partnership with him? He is so complimentary of you as well in his uh, memoir that had come out. And so I just wonder if we can get uh, maybe some stories from you about working with Kevin and how that partnership was developed. Well, we worked together for over 20 years. So I probably have thousands of stories. And but, um, you know, I just I think, you know, we just saw the world the same way. I, you know, it was sort of kismet. I, I think we met, I mean, <laughs> it's so long ago, um, and I had different roles, and he had some different roles along the way, um, but I, I think we worked on a Snow White uh, at Walt Disney World back in the 90s, um, the early 90s, and, but really the first one was the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh for Florida, and um, and that was sort of a new relationship. And I, I just don't know. We got to know each other. We see the world the same. You know, they always talk about, you know, opposites attract. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if you're magnets. But I, I think for us, seeing the world the same way and we just did things fast. We just, we saw, you know, you didn't spend all your time arguing and disagreeing and then slamming doors and walking out. We, I mean, we just never, ever did it. We just, he is so great to work with. You know, he puts up with crazy me and um, and I put up with crazy him, but he's not nearly as crazy. And and I think that's that's a big part of it. There were times they were like, oh, we need to, we need to duplicate you guys. We need to create another team. What if we gave you another person in there and they could see how you work, you know, oh God, you know, and then, <laughs> then you just see the cogs of the wheel, like a pebble goes in and the whole thing, you know, <laughs> lodges up and it's just like, it's a big mess. And they're like, oh, take that person out. And you're like, no, 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 there is something about the two of us. And the funny thing is we did things on our own. Like we're known for working together, but he did his projects with teams. I did my projects with other teams, but when we could come together, Oh man, it was awesome, and and I, I think I think my best stories of Kevin are always going to his office. You know, he if you had a crappy day or whatever, you know, he is so, so incredibly positive. Like like the room could be filling with water, and he would be like, you know, baking a cake. You know, I was <laughs> like, I, I, you know, so just all the memory and I'm sure he's thinking I've got a thousand things to do and he's sitting at his computer and I'm on his couch like a therapist you know and it you know it was great well he was my therapist um and we just had so many stories that way and we would come up with ideas just sitting there like that so of, of many 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 stories with Kevin but most in his office dreaming and creating were just my favorite days at WDI yeah 
Did Kevin ever get you into any trouble though? Because there's this part in his book where he describes like racing around in these really fast cars when they're dreaming up test track. And that part of the book had me on such edge. And I'm just wondering, did you and Kevin ever get into any crazy antics like that? I don't remember. I mean, we we did so many fun things, but I don't remember him getting us into crazy trouble. <laughs> That's good. About that one. Well, I wasn't sure, you know, because so many of your attractions, um, you know, can have some really thematic parts to it. I wasn't sure if like you had to like test those out on each other or, or anything like that, but I'm glad to know that he didn't get you into too much trouble and you're still here in one piece. So that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't think, I mean, part of the fun of working with Kevin is that both of us weren't scared of doing each other's jobs. You know, he was known for being a writer, but you know, he went to school for art and he has a great eye and I, you know, I'm a designer, but he knew I was a story guy. And so, you know, sometimes people get very territorial and it's like, stop, I'm, I'm the right. And he was never that way. And I was never that way. And we would sit together and create stories. And then I'd go home and I'd draw up things and I'd come it back and show him and he'd go, well, what if we made this scene bigger? And what if we, you know, what if we move this? And so we just had a great, you know, because it, a great collaboration because we could do both and we weren't scared to do each other's jobs. That's so great. It's always great to find a partnership like that where you can work together. And I think Craig, you have a question about actually coming up with some of those stories. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, there's just us on the Zoom call. So I feel like it's our own little masterclass in Imagineering here. But storytelling is such an important part of delivering your message and your medium, whether that's in a classroom or writing or even podcasting like we do. So uh, it's a way that you engage with people. So can you tell us about how the storytelling process fit into your job and, and how you would go about um, creating and crafting that story for an attraction? You know, I think it's funny that you know, when you say the word story to people, they always think of, you know, a plot or narrative, like, you know, so-and-so met so-and-so, and then they went somewhere and there's a plot, plot, plot. And, you know, in theme parks, um, I remember Marty once sent a note to us and said, hey, can you do a, a, a paper on storytelling? And I remember going, huh, how am I gonna put this into words and it's for Marty, you know, you're like, oh boy. Um, and. And I remember breaking it down by category. And I said, storytelling, like in a land, you know, if you were designing frontier land, you know, there's truly no plot. But story for us means, okay, I need like this little Western town and I need a little river with a riverboat and I need a pine tree and a hitching post. And that's story for a land because it tells the story of the place. So that's one kind of story, you know, on a roller coaster, hmm, even harder to tell, you know, a story while you're going fast. So sometimes it's just, you know, a bobsled down a Matterhorn and you go, <laughs> that's kind of the story. And that's all you get one line. And, you know, and, and then again, we have different stories in our dark rides or, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or any of, you know, these attractions. And sometimes it's a book report. Um, I remember when we were working on Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the rescue. Oh, long, long story for that one. Um, and, <laughs> and Kevin and I were like, okay, so we got four minutes to tell the story of Monsters, Inc. And if you know the movie, 
which I'm sure most of your viewers or listeners do, you know, it's a very complicated story and it's a very, you know, involved. And we said, we got four minutes. And so I remember Kevin and I sitting down, we're like, okay, we're only gonna do the part where Boo is loose in the city and Mike and Sully, her kind of surrogate fathers have to get her home. Mm. And there was gonna be a hero's journey of these obstacles for them to get her back to her room. And we said, that's gonna be the story. It's not the story of the movie, it's part of the movie, but for a ride, you have to just think differently. We don't get 90 minutes, we don't get a lot of character development, we don't get, so book reports or something. Um, it was fun for Mystic Manor in Hong Kong because we got to invent new characters and a whole new plot and, and got to reinvent the Haunted Mansion um, in a whole new way. And so I think storytelling for us, that's what's great. And it's great about Imagineering in general is every day is a new day. And sometimes you're working on a roller coaster and sometimes on a water ride and every day is different and every story is different. And sometimes, and you just have to go, okay, what's the right story for this kind of attraction. And that's what that's how we would always start. So you were talking about storytelling and one of the stories you were able to tell was in uh, Disneyland, which I have to admit, I'm a bad Disney fan and have not been there quite yet. But I hear people talk about Radiator Springs Racers all the time and how it completely transports you to another place. And I gotta wonder, like, are there any attractions that are able to transport you or do you always look at it <laughs> through an Imagineer's eyes, you know? Well, you know, the first couple times you ride anything, you try to be like, just do, go with it and enjoy it and, and see it as guests would see it. So even if that's our, one of our attractions that I didn't work on, you know, that a, a colleague's attraction, or somewhere else in the world when we write other things. And I think we go in cold and we like to go in. I hate, I will say, I hate watching videos of attractions. I think most Imagineers would tell you it is such a <laughs> horrible way to experience our work is to watch it on a screen first. And mm. um, because what we build is so surrounding you, it was, it was tough for, me to um, see some videos being posted for uh, the Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast that opened in Tokyo during, right after the pandemic. And what was happening is, you know, so few people were able to ride, somebody would shoot it and then everybody would review it based on the video. And I was like, I'm going to die because <laughs> this, is, no. this is a really amazing attraction that everybody has to experience. But please don't experience it on YouTube because <laughs> it's just not the same. So, you know, to answer your question, that's how we go in cold first. We love it. We enjoy it. And then we pick it apart, you know, because sure. what would I do different there? What would I have done different there? Or what, what do we love? And it's like, oh, I love this scene. I can't wait. I want to ride again. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard to take the Imagineering out of our brain because, you know, 29 yeah. years of this, it's like what we do. So I have to ask you about something I recently read about you and Kevin essentially having Radiator Springs racers like ready to go years before the film came out. Now, I, I have to imagine that must have been such a cool like inside baseball journey to know that you were designing a ride for a film that hasn't even come out yet. Like what was that process like for you? Well, the, the, 
there's a long history to uh, Radiator Springs Racers. I will try to give you the short version. But, you know, right after Disney California uh, Adventure opened, you know, as soon as we open something, we're always like, hey, what can we do? What can we add? What can we fix? What can we change? And, and one of the first things that came about was like, what more, what different lands could we add? And one of the first ones Kevin proposed was a place called Carland. And it was celebrating um, California car culture, which mm -hmm. was really missing out of that park because it was such a big part of the California story as the cars and how, um, and he had come up with many, many fun ideas as part of this car land and, and then dragged me in and we worked on different parts of it. And, um, and then, and, and as you recall, you know, Pixar <laughs> was never not amazing. Um, right out of the gate with Toy Story, um, and then right after hit after hit after hit. Um, and of course, you know, the folks up there would always want us to put their films in our parks. And we would, you know, I worked on A Bug's Land with many folks, and we would work with um, the teams up there, and we would share ideas that we wanted to do. They would share ideas with us. And I remember one day they said, hey, we're working on a movie about cars. And of course, Kevin is like the ultimate car guy. And, and I'm like, hmm, he has his car land. Hmm, there's this movie. And so we went up and saw an early cut of, I think it was like 2004. And, and two years before the movie came out. And it was, you know, because we'd always be able to see some of those early versions. And we're like, you know, how could this not be a giant hit? You know, I know. Mm -hmm. Some people, executives get kind of weird about spending money on things that aren't proven yet. But, you know, Pixar, <laughs> you can bet against anything. And um, and so we we came back and we started developing Radiator Springs Racers um, almost from um, and as a standalone kind of attraction. We said, hey, you could start in California and then drive out to Radiator Springs. Um, the story really didn't change much at all over the years, but of course, um, um, and as we developed car land, then cars became part of it. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, it became all of it, and um, we built you know cars instead of car land, um, cars land to really celebrate that film. And but the one thing that really didn't change at all was Radiator Springs Racers. That you know the the track changed a little bit you know the some of the little design elements but um kevin stayed through it through the whole thing so it was like eight years so from 2004 till it opened in 2012 you know there's stops and starts there's left turns and right turns <laughs> but it it and, and he was with it all the way to the end so he was protecting our story all the way um, and I'd say, I think there's only one scene that's different from our very original pitch. Wow. That, that's incredible. That is incredible. Like that's the movie I want to see, like the behind the scenes of that. That's, <laughs> that's so rad. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, uh, talking about other attractions that we love, you mentioned earlier working with Joe Rohde and of course, Animal Kingdom is, is so much credited to his brain and, and what he brought to that. Um, but I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. I think it's going to become one of my favorites. I don't know that anything will ever usurp for me Expedition Everest because this like, and I've talked about this on the show before. It's like this kinetic feeling when you're going backwards and you you go down that uh, slant, you get this kind of like weird feeling in your stomach that you only get in that particular moment. And it's like 
for me, it's the best feeling in the world. Um, but can you talk about the coming up with that attraction and putting a thrill ride into Animal Kingdom and how all of that developed? That one, I came in as part of a concept team, so I wasn't leading up that one. It was, you know, Joe, you know, <laughs> it, it was great. Not only did he do, you know, develop that park, but he was really behind all the pieces afterwards as well. Um, and, you know, I, I go back to the days of, you know, Walt and, and, you know, Disneyland, it's hard to believe, but, you know, Dumbo was not there on opening day at Disneyland. It missed it by like two, like a month. It was like August. And it's just like, oh, and, you know, I think that's what happens. You know, people go, oh, you know, this park isn't so good. You're like, well, none of them are good at the very beginning because we never have enough money. Walt didn't have enough money. And you just keep adding. That's, you know, you know, the, the old story goes that, you know, Walt would, you know, work on these films and then he'd see things and he'd want to fix them, but it was too late, right? It was like, you know, so that was a well-known story and that Disneyland gave him that opportunity. And you, you see things where, you know, the first 10 years of Disneyland, how many things changed, you know, so many, because he was always fixing, always changing. And so I think Animal Kingdom just needed a thrill ride. So um, we were actually working on two different ones at the same time. One is in a drawer. <laughs> and I'd love to tell you about it because it was a good one too. <laughs> they, they had worked on a different coaster and they brought me in. Um, and I was just part of a really amazing team on Everest. Um, but, you know, I think we, Joe really wanted to do something different, you know, didn't want just another roller coaster. Could we do something with a trick? We looked at different kinds of tricks. And then eventually the little, the little trick of getting up the hill and seeing what the abominable Yeti had, had done to the track was like, okay, this will be one of those, like, what would be the worst day of your life? You know, getting on a roller coaster and then getting to the end of the track and uh -huh. sliding backwards. So that was kind of how we started. The, we had lots of technical tricks with that. I know Joe through, through uh, the building of it, you know, there's, Imagine this track switch is like a hundred feet in the air. It's like 30 feet long because you got to go up one side. And then when you go backwards, you got to do a track switch. And, and it was never quite as natural as he wanted, you know, to sort of glide up the hill and then glide back down and then go into backwards section. And um, when I was developing uh, Big Grizzly Mountain for Hong Kong, that was like foremost in my mind. And so what we did for act two, instead of just gliding up, we actually used a lift to take you up. And that was the second worst nightmare of your life is clicking up a lift and then it letting go halfway up and then sliding back. But it, that way we were able to capture the train better while um, the track switch was going. So there's things like that. It's like every time we do one, we kind of go, oh, well that didn't, quite work out the way we thought and then the next time we do it something else we we carry that baggage with us from attraction to attraction and we got okay this time we'll do it right and uh but but i think for for animal kingdom it was trying to do something really different i think he wanted to you know just not do another big thunder 
Hmm. Now, I will admit I've experienced this one through YouTube and I apologize in advance, but um, Mystic Manor is is just something so incredible. Uh, I mean, if you want to like we can hop on a plane, I'll go there with you oh. if you want to. <laughs> and then, but but, you know, like wh what about what about Mystic Manor as an attraction and, and helping to develop that? Because you do get to take that classic haunted mansion that we all know and love there's a lore to that uh, haunted mansion that goes all the way back to walt and then you get to put your kind of your own spin on it too and it's kind of like a it just seems like it'd be an incredible experience to go through yeah and you know that one was really interesting when when hong kong disneyland opened again you know we always open it's not never quite as much as we want and we you know so the park was ready to expand and um and there was kind of a perception that, you know, for the locals that they didn't get anything new and there was a lot of kid content. So a lot of things based on animated films. And so nowadays it would probably be very, very hard sell. But back then we said, you know, what this park needs is some kind of new and unique uh, additions and so we don't want to copy a Big Thunder and call it Big Thunder. And we don't want a Haunted Mansion and call it Haunted Mansion because they're going to think they just got more copies. We want to give them some fresh new. Um, and I remember uh, Joanne Cicero was the, the lead on that. I remember he came, he was actually run, doing Tokyo and the cruise ships at the same time and they gave him Hong Kong. And he came into my office and I'm, I kid you not, dropped to his knees and goes, Robert, you're the only one who can do this. Uh -huh. And he brought me in to work on the expansion and I owe him so many, so much for all of that. We had great fun developing that. And I remember sitting with him and we, we talked about all the issues with the Chinese culture. And, and we'd heard stories, you know, that, you know, ghosts are a different thing there. It's an ancestral thing. They're very reverent, you know, you can't go there. Then we talked to other people and they go, oh no, we love ghost stories. <laughs> so like, who do you believe? But we said, you know, let's not go into that. And I, and I went to Joe and I go, you know, ultimately, and maybe to your point, Craig, you know, the Haunted Mansion really was a Yale Gracie masterpiece. It was mm -hmm. a, a place to do illusions. And, and I said, you know, we don't need ghosts to do illusions. We can come up with other, another story. And so, you know, as much as some, some folks on the team wanted us to copy the ride system of the Omnimover and developed scenes that were similar. We just we just came up with our own story. We I I really pushed for the the trackless vehicles. I'd worked on Who's Honey Hunt um, back in Tokyo, and we ever ever since we opened that was like we need another one, and it took forever to get the second one. And for for Mystic, we did. I said I what I loved about it, I, I and I sat with Joe again. I go you know. It's kind of a, the Haunted Mansion is kind of like a magic trick in some ways with these illusions. And I go, the Omnimover, you don't know when people are coming and when they're going. So if you were a magician and somebody showed up at the end of your illusion and then never got the setup, they wouldn't get the whole thing. And I said, with, with trackless vehicles, we can bring them into a scene, do the illusion and then leave. And we own the illusion. And so we really took advantage of that. We got to use vehicles that went out as a platoon of four, then they were in a chain, then we separated them into twos. At one point they were single by themselves in a room. And I said, I said to me, 
the subtext of that is like a haunted, like a like a spooky movie where you know you're walking with your friends in the forest and everything is really great, and then you turn, hey Billy, Billy, yeah. and all of a sudden Billy's gone, <laughs> and then you're walking, hey that's weird, you know what happened to Billy Fre Fred, and all of a sudden Fred's gone, and you kind of go, I'm alone in the forest, you know, and that sort of gives you the goosebumps. And that's what we got to do with these, you know, uh, trackless vehicles is we got suddenly the platoon you were with is now gone and you are alone and you're like, where am I in the building? So we got to do so many fun things with Mystic. Um, I'm so proud of it. It was not an e-ticket to begin with, really. It was a small budget, you know, thing. But I think because of the way it was executed, it really feels and there's so many references to the haunted mansion the the pre-show is an octagon exactly the same size as the stretching room there's there's so many things i put in little tricks um the size of the house up on the hill is does not look like the haunted mansion but is exactly the same dimensions so we had so many fun things that we were like tipping our hat to the super fans who may never know some of the secrets we put in that's so great that is such a great story. I, I really, I love getting to take this look behind the scenes at these attractions. I am going to break though for just a moment from talking about attractions because we like to get to know the human side of the people we speak to and, and the friendships that they have. One of the reasons we've been asking you so many questions about Kevin, but there's another special relationship that you have and that is with your sister, Lori, and you were both Imagineers. And I'm just wondering, what was that like having someone in your family that you could speak that Disney language to, I, I bet your dinner conversations were fascinating. Well, well, first she's married and we don't have dinner together because she has oh. dinner with her husband. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we had plenty of conversations. Um, you know, it, you know, I was, like I said before, I was, I was sort of the Disneyland kid, even though I had not been to Disneyland, I was sort of the Disney kid. She had a different kind of career. She was in theater and and had done more production work, you know, scenic art and painting and worked for the Old Globe in San Diego for many years. And so I was the first one, even though she's my older sister um, and I learned a lot from her, I was the first one at Disney because it was sort of like, okay, Robert's working at Disney, duh. And, and then a couple of years later, she joined us. So it was sort of funny because, you know, they would see, oh, Lori Coltrane. And then she'd have her little sign on her door and they go, oh, you must be Robert's wife. Uh. Uh. <laughs> so she put a little sign under her name that said sister, not wife. So they would come in. Um, so I'm sure she got through that part of it. Um, but, you know, and then she just went, even though I think she started in production, she was the, she was the creative director for all of Fantasyland in Hong Kong and Shanghai and really had a great career on her own. We whenever we could partner and the first time may have been Winnie the Pooh, she had worked on Animal Kingdom and um, I had been working on Pooh's Honey Hunt for Tokyo and then Florida said, hey, we can't afford like a really big e-ticket for Pooh, but we'd like to, you know, do a, something smaller. And since you know everything about Pooh, would you like to lead that up? And then she was finishing Animal Kingdom and I brought her in. So we sort of co-created that the first time and, you know, it, it is it's great working you know some people tell me like I could never work with my brother I'd kill myself you know I'm like no 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 my sister is amazing what she brings to the table um and because she 
I think she loved doing the end more and I loved doing the beginning more. Um, both of us can do both, but I really, by the second half of my career, I focused on creating new things, getting it off the ground, get a plan, get an estimate, getting all things ready, and then I would hand it off. And in some cases, I would hand off to my sister. And I go, how great is that? Because not only do I trust that she's going to execute this beautifully, it's going to be 10 times better than I imagined. Because <laughs> she's, going to, she's going to make it even better. So she, unfortunately, because it takes so long to build things, <laughs> she couldn't build them as fast as I could dream them up. Um, so um, there were other people I could hand things over to. And certainly things like Radio Springs Racers, you know, co-creating with Kevin, and then he stayed on all the way through, you know, of course, I knew it was going to be perfect because Kevin was going to, you know, make sure it was going to be that way. So, um, yeah, working with my sister was great. I got to work with her even on my, one of my last projects, Fantasy Springs, coming to Tokyo Disney Sea soon in the next year or two. I, I, they did announce that there is a Peter Pan attraction, and it was one of my babies that I'd been working on with uh, Daniel Jew and the Tokyo team for a couple of years, and my sister became available, and I went, this is awesome. <laughs> so I got to hand over that one to her. Um, unfortunately, she retired, so she handed it over to someone else. So now we're all going. We can't wait to see how it all is turning out. That, that is, is so just, uh, it's just so excellent that you get that opportunity. It's so funny. I had the exact opposite experience when I first started doing community theater in this new town. My wife and I were in the same show together. And uh, I think tech week of the show, somebody said, wait, uh, they live together? brother and sister live together? What's with that? And so <laughs> I had the exact opposite experience than what you had. Uh, but That's Tristan, awesome. I think you had our next question. Yeah. So you were talking about how you were involved in the early days of a lot of those attractions. And I have to ask about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which is an all-time favorite of mine. How much of what you, you know, jumped up with that team actually came to life? Well, almost everything. Because again, the great Kevin Rafferty, not only did we co-create it, but um, he, he stayed all the way through the bitter end and in Florida and working, you know, tirelessly there, um, working with the team to make it happen. So, you know, those are always my dream jobs because you never hand your baby off to a stranger. You are handing it to your partner in crime. So, you know, and, and that one comes with, a, you know, it's uh, Sharita Carter and Tom LaDuke and their team started early on that project with these incredible illusions that make up Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Imagine that world, they made mock-ups and we would go over and you just go, how is this possible? And they were really, and you'd walk right up to them and you still couldn't figure out some of the things they were doing, but they were, they'd struggled a little bit about a storyline and sort of the reality, like I always talk about, you know, it's not just the story, you gotta actually figure out the station, the timing, the capacity, you know, and working with our partners. And they had struggled a bit and a couple different teams had worked with them. And then finally, Kevin became available and started and then called me and said, Robert, you gotta figure this thing out. And cause he knew that between the two of us, we could work on the story, but he knew I could do the plans and I could actually figure it out can it fit in the great movie ride? Can it, you know, how does this work? How does the timing work? 
and you know we work with Jill Zipko and her Florida team in operations because they really were nervous about the early ideas and you know like I said you have to collaborate you have to partner up the the parks have to accept these attractions and so they they're part of the process and we and so we worked with them and made them more comfortable with how we wanted to to operate this attraction and then we move forward they they basically told us we're going to give you two months to figure this out or we're shutting it down and kevin are like give us two weeks and we'll <laughs> figure it so two months we had plans we had scope documents we had everything and i remember presenting it with kevin to bob chapek who back then was the chairman of parks and resorts and mm -hmm. and he goes we need six of these and and then you go, okay, good. Now we have one, we're about to get a second. So who knows if we'll ever get all six, <laughs> but- was it, was it always planned to replace Great Movie Ride too? Was it always planned for that building? Um, yeah. Um, and I think it was probably a result of Toy Story Land was coming to mm -hmm. the Hollywood studios. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge was coming, you know, both of them in development and and then there was the great movie ride, which was this beloved, but also very dated and um, attraction that needed love. And in fact, Kevin and I had worked on many different replacements over the years for the great movie ride. So it wasn't the first time somebody said, hey, let's, it's time to fix that one. Um, but yeah, that one was always, always meant for, um, we, we designed it just for there. But we had designed many Mickey rides for many different places, but for that one, yeah. So Robert, our time is starting to come to an end with you today, but I, I know you're enjoying retirement. It's very relaxing, but you're a creative person and I imagine you never stop dreaming and thinking. So is there anything that you're gonna be working on? Maybe it doesn't have to be Disney, maybe a book or, or something along those lines? You know, I, I think after 29 years, some of the hardest part is sort of disconnecting, you know, in fact, I, I remember when Kevin's book came out and, and he had signed it for me and everything. And um, of course he had kept it a secret. Like I had no, idea. I think I saw it on Amazon coming soon. And it was like, uh, Kevin. <laughs> and, and, um, and then when he gave me one of the copies, I said, you know, what? I'm not going to be reading this for a few years. Cause, cause I said, what'll happen is he's, his stories are so good. And I go, they're gonna make me get all teary-eyed and then I'm gonna wanna go back to work and then I'm not gonna be in retirement anymore. And I'm gonna, I'm like, no, 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 I have to retire and I make a, a break. Um, so um, I'm always thinking of things. I, I will, you know, after D23, I had quite a few teams come up to me going, hey, would you kind of come back in and, you know, consult a little bit? And I'm like, you know, maybe. So it's been a couple of years. I'm starting to think that maybe, um, you know, I'm having fun at home. I, uh, I was known for many years at work to do elaborate decorating in, in our office space and not just Christmas or Halloween, like all year round, we, I would do the seasons. I would do, you know, tiki summers and full on spring with, you know, and they're, I will say very elaborate and people would love them. And, and then when I retired, I had like literally a ginormous closet full of stuff. And so now I get to decorate at home and um, the front yard. I'm the hero of the street. 
because I get to you know decorate. So those things take up my time. Um, a book, maybe. I think you know if Kevin's the optimist, I would I won't say I'm a pessimist. I'll say I'm the realist. <laughs> so his book will be rose-colored and really happy. Mine will have some dirt and we'll name names. So, <laughs> Perfect. Love it. And I'll get the tea. <laughs> so um, but I have I have lots and lots of fun stories to as we all do. I think anybody who's an imagineer and has been through the process of even one attraction, you have stories to tell. And I've got many, many attractions to to tell people about and lots of executives that we've been through. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. When I see some of the decorating, I can see your mantelpiece there. Our listeners won't be able to see it, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. So as Vanessa mentioned, our time is coming to a close, but we do want to get in some rapid fire questions to you. Now you can answer these however you want. I'm going to pass it off to Tristan here in a second, and he's going to ask you the questions, but I will tell you that uh, we had a chance to talk to Tony Baxter. He walked us around the entire world answering these questions. So these can be as brief or as long as you want them to be. Okay. So rapid fire is kind of in quotes. It is very much in quotes. So Tristan, you can take it away from I'll, me. I'll try. I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> oh no, this is so cool. Uh, so, what is your favorite animated film from the Disney Studios? The Little Mermaid. Oh yeah. And good answer. And you think it would be further back and more my generation, but but. I think that's the one where I loved Little Shop of Horrors when Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, and I said, these guys are brilliant. And when I heard that Disney had picked them up and then that movie came out, I can't tell you how many people I dragged to the theater to see that movie because I'm like, Disney is back, you guys. There's yeah. no more of these stupid films anymore. They are hitting them out of the park. And and it was really that movie that said, okay, I got to make the move and was hired that year. I love, that. I love that. What about your favorite live action film from the Disney studio? You know, I'm going to say, and this is sort of a cheat, but I'm going to say Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Okay. It does go back to my... That's a great choice. early days. You know, I would say Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but it's not Disney. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks was an early favorite. And it does have animated pieces, so it sort of doesn't count. But um, yeah, uh, that one, oh, I probably had Bedknobs in my bedroom, you know, hoping I could twist them and go somewhere. All right, this is, a diff this is difficult for you, I imagine, but what is your favorite Disney park? This is gonna be a weird one for you, but I'm gonna say, Disneyland Paris. Oh, and I have never been. Oh, wow. I have never been to that park. I've worked on some early things that went in to the park when I first started, and the park was just being built. Um, but I think what Tony and his team did, you know, was the first great sort of reinvention of the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, there was Disneyland, and then there was sort of I mean, with Walt Disney World, kind of a copy, a couple different little changes. And then Tokyo was really a, an interesting mess of things. And, but he really, you know, in the late 80s, just got the chance to rethink it. And that castle is my favorite castle of all time. 
the layout of that park is so thoughtful. It is like he went back and he he and the team just fixed every problem that had had happened over the years, right? I mean, Disneyland starts and then it grows and it becomes this weird thing and some pieces aren't in the right place and you kind of go, oh, you wish you could start over and he did. And, and I've not been, I've seen tons of pictures. I can't wait to go. <laughs> I was hoping I could go in retirement and then there's this thing that happened. Yeah, something <laughs> happened there. Um... The travel was tricky. And, uh, but yeah, I would say that team, and that park is got to be the best of the best. They're like Jules Verne version of Space Mountain is on one of those attractions that I really need to ride. Uh, and it's including things like Pooh's Honey Hunt in Tokyo and Mystic Manor in Hong Kong. I mean, some you of your attractions as well. These are the ones. What's that? You haven't been to Tokyo? No, I've only I've only ever really <laughs> been to Walt Disney World. I'm sorry. This okay. is like I know. <laughs> okay, so we're all going to get on a plane and we're going to go to okay. Hong Kong and Tokyo, and you're going to go I'm with in. me, and you're going to you will. The Tokyo parks are incredible. Just, That's awesome, and I, I mean it's it just seems like it's so absolutely incredible there. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's great, and I'd love to go on Space Mountain as well. So Tristan, you got a couple more. Okay. Yeah, what's your favorite attraction since we're talking about attractions at the moment? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> There's all the standard lines that come with that. It's like, that's choosing my favorite child. Um, you know, if, if you judge favorite by the one, if you only got to go to Disneyland and ride one thing for the day, and that's how you judge your favorite, it's probably Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, it, that is the most, you know it was just one of those that you kind of go you know the time it was built and how advanced it was 50 60 years later it's still jaw-dropping that they got away with it and um and you know one of walt's well walt's last attractions and um yeah i'd and I mean, I love them all, you know, you, you, you write everything you can, but that one is just one of those that I think will be hard to replicate. I have an idea for uh, Disney Imagineering. We've had this amazing opportunity to talk to so many of you. And I would say almost to a person, every single Imagineer we've spoken to has said Pirates is their favorite attraction. Mm -hmm. I feel like there needs to be like a video of all of you getting on a ride through of it in Disneyland and just like, just enjoying yourself. So that's awesome. A couple more rapid fires for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is your favorite restaurant? Do you have like a favorite place you like to go? Uh, uh, uh. Okay, now this is going to... So there's two answers to this one. If you're going to do a sit down, I mean, it has to be the Blue Bayou, right? I mean, <laughs> you're at... Of course, Craig, you don't count because you haven't been there. I know, right? But, and Tristan, um, too. Don't just pick I on me. <laughs> but I've been to Disneyland. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Robert. <laughs> and, and it's just because, again, it's just one of those incredible. It's just an incredible experience. And, it, and you're just in a restaurant, but it's just that environment is so incredible. Um, but if you say, where do I eat mostly? It'll be like Plaza Inn mm. at Disneyland. Or even like Alien Pizza Port, I think what it's called now, the old pizza, whatever, Planet Pizza Port in Tomorrowland, you know, or even Bengal Barbecue. So, I mean, it just sort of, you know, Blue Bayou, you kind of have to, 
go when it's a big deal and you can make uh, reservations forget it you know yeah so do you have a favorite snack then you know something quick that you get that you just can't live without when you go to the disney parks you know we i think we save it for the meals so um i we don't eat i don't usually eat snacks there sometimes ice cream but you know you know you got to save up for the, the big fun places but no i'm, I'm i guess i don't know snacker yeah Sorry. well that's a robert this has just been an incredible opportunity to get a chance to talk to you and please know that if ever you want to share thousands of hours of stories with us we have an ongoing podcast weekly and so we're happy to have you back all the time but but i will say you know it's just it's incredible when you get to talk to people that truly create that magic for people and it allows us to when our, on some of the darkest days that i have i can think about the disney parks and it just instantly brings me joy and happiness so just thank you for your career thank you for your art and creativity it's just incredible and of course uh it's incredible that you are now recognized as a disney legend so congratulations on that as well go figure thank you <laughs> That was excellent. I mean, like, it was just so great to get a chance to talk to Robert. <laughs> Apparently, I was like yelling when I did that because I just made <laughs> Vanessa go back in her chair. I'm so excited, though, Vanessa. It was so great to talk to him. I could talk to him like he's one of those people that I, I just want to go book the Blue Bayou or I want to go hop on a plane with him and just talk to him about Imagineering for hours and hours and hours, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. It was so cool to kind of get to talk to him and, and again, see what it's like behind the curtain of these rides, these attractions, these things that we love that bring people together. And he helped create them and bring them to life. And I have to say, talking to Imagineers is just one of my favorite things because they're, they're so kind. I mean, listen to him talk about collaboration, just the nicest person and so creative, so fun. And you could just tell they bring a lot of enthusiasm to what they do. And I just, ugh, I love talking to him today. Well, and what I love about it is that I think that they're still underappreciated for the amount of work and the amount of creativity that they do. I mean, we as real Disney fans, we know these names, we've heard these names, but we to get to actually hear from them is kind of rare. I mean, Tony Baxter is out there doing wonderful work to kind of like give the gospel of Imagineering, right? And to be able to give all these interviews and everything else. Marty Sklar before him that was able to do that. But to be able to talk to these individuals and be able to like hear the creative process and understand those generations of Imagineers and sort of, he talked a lot about the new uh, generation of Imagineering. And I can't wait to be able to see what's going to come in the future. You know, like right now, it's uh, every Disney fan in the world needs to go and follow uh, Zach Ridley on Instagram because he posts all these things from Disney Imagineering all the time. And so it's cool to see like even that next generation of Imagineers too, and to be able to talk to him a bit about that. Tristan, this was your first experience getting to talk to someone from Imagineering and get to kind of get on the inside of that. Thoughts? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was super nervous to begin with. I'm not gonna lie to you. Because like I listen to this podcast all the time. You know, I'm big fans and I get nervous with the two of you. Like the other day when I was messing with you, Vanessa, I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. But like I got a little <laughs> nervous. I'm not gonna lie, because that's the first time I've talked to anybody like that. Because you like you guys have interviewed, I mean, good, you know, anybody listening to this podcast knows like, you know, the the content you all put out. So I was real nervous, but I got through it. I did okay by the end. I was like really smooth, but uh 
that first question, I was a little nervous. So. Oh my gosh, you are great, Tristan. You, you're one of us. Don't worry, you oh, are yes. one of us. Well, oh. and I'll tell you, it's one of those experiences that like when you get an opportunity like this to be able to talk to somebody and really understand their creative vision and everything, it's just like, we're so grateful for all of those opportunities that we were able to have. And primarily, I mean, like, pulling back the curtain a little bit here, we wouldn't be doing this show if it wasn't for people like you, Tristan, that are out there listening to the show and being able to make us a larger, uh, have a larger platform and to be able to go out yeah. after these other guests. So, I mean, truly, it's very mutually beneficial here, uh, what we have going on. And it was great to get a chance to have you come on and be sort of a special co-host for us uh, in this interview today, for sure. I should mention, because we're plugging, we're at the plugging stage of the podcast, <laughs> that we do have a Patreon on. And so you'll be hearing from Tristan again, because uh, actually he's at the top tier of our Patreon. And so he's able to come on and be a guest on one of our shows and he gets to pick the topic sometime later on this year. So this doesn't count as your show, Tristan, you're good. Uh, <laughs> good. You get to definitely come back. We're so grateful to all of our Patreon supporters. In fact, I want to just make sure that we run through the list uh, quickly for those people that have just jumped on right at the very beginning of this. Of course, we mentioned Tristan, but along with him at that Space Mountain tier, that top tier, also people like Michael Taylor, who I've gotten to know through podcasting. is just an amazing, amazing guy. Speaking of amazing, Greg Woods, actually, we had a side conversation. Vanessa and I had a side conversation with Greg Woods that was like part of his business experience, and it went on for a bit right Vanessa and he, can I just add too he is the funniest guy <laughs> he he's able to explain uh technical things with a lot of humor love talking to him always Absolutely. And of course, Justin Souter, so grateful to him um, for his mentorship in podcasting, his friendship in podcasting, and also his support. And then we have people like uh, Keith Carver, who's a brand new patron as well. And then B Bonner, who's supporting us, and she's constantly supporting us. In fact, I think you might be hearing from B in the relatively near future as well. So we're just so grateful to all of our Patreon supporters. I totally uh, forgot in that Space Mountain tier to also mention Kelby Dolan as well, another ah, listener Kelby, who yeah. we've come to know after a couple of years of doing this and excited to kind of meet Kelby in person at some point because he is in the area and just that hasn't happened yet but putting the bat single out there Kelby we need to to get together at some point in the, the near future for sure but just thankful to all those Patreon supporters if you want to support us on Patreon please go to patreon.com slash beyond the mouse and you can see all the tiers there and you can join and help support the show it's something new that we're trying to do to try to continue to grow the show from here and um, uh, see where the show goes from there. Of course, if this is your first time listening, thank you so much. You can definitely listen to all of our content if you search for Beyond the Mouse on any podcast platform. You can hear previous interviews and just us talking about Disney and talking about uh, a lot of the different movies and just the parks and things like that that we love about Disney as well. You can follow us on social media. Definitely check us out on Instagram, Beyond the Mouse Pod. Also on Twitter, Beyond Mouse. And then on Facebook, you have two opportunities. Beyond the Mouse is the page, but then we also have that group. And I really suggest, highly suggest going into that group, which is Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals, because that's where we get to chat. And they also get to learn a lot about the people that we are going to be interviewing. They get some kind of breaking news there as well. So definitely go and check that out. Final thoughts before I wrap this up, I'm going to go to Vanessa first, and then I'll let Tristan finish us out. So Vanessa, final thoughts oh. on Robert, on Imagineering, on life, whatever. Final thoughts are, if we can make it happen where the three of us travel with Robert 
to Tokyo, to Disneyland Paris, anywhere, honestly, with Robert, I will die. I will be so happy. I'll just die right there, but I'll have a great time doing it. I, 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 we need to make this happen. We could probably let Brett come too, right? Well, you know, he wasn't here, but <laughs> I suppose we could, he could sit in the back. It's fine. All right. All right. Tristan, uh, final thoughts for you. Oh, this was so cool. I really appreciate you all letting me come on for this. This is like the cool. Life is so cool, right? Life is just cool. Life is so cool. Speaking of speaking of life being so cool, uh, it is wonderful to see posts from you about you and Savannah and just how much I can just tell the love in that relationship. So by the time that this episode releases, you will be a married man, and all of our congratulations to you and Savannah uh, for just future years of happiness and best wishes I'm, look uh i'm Vanessa's... throwing imaginary rice at you <laughs> you're getting Thanks pelted so much, guys. I appreciate imaginary it. rice is probably much better for the birds i'm guessing right that's true <laughs> <laughs> awesome well it's just so great to have you again to uh tristan thank you to Absolutely. walt disney imagineering thank you to robert for your time and your talent thank you to everybody that made this interview possible we really do appreciate appreciate you so for beyond the mouse i am craig i'm vanessa And I'm Tristan. And we will see you real soon in the front row, probably in the front row of a 747, right? Going off to Tokyo and uh, Tokyo Disney Sea. And in a first class, if I'm flying with Robert Coulthard, I'm going all out first class to Disney Sea. That's where you, I don't know if you guys are going to be in economy or not, but you know, that's where I'll be. We'll go hang out with Brett back in economy. It's fine, right, Tristan? There you go. That's right.